Well, it is a joy to see you interacting and talking and thinking intentionally about grandparenting and, uh, and already doing the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, we're going to turn our attention today to a grandparent's relationship with their grandkids. And uh, I, I'm not um, today hoping to cover every possible idea that is helpful. Uh, one thing that's great is you guys are talking with each other about those things. We'll mention some, but I, I do want to give you some different categories of things, kind of like Doug just did, to get you thinking in different ways that maybe you already are and uh, maybe you're, you're not. One thing I would mention next week, uh, our lesson will be a little bit shorter and then we're going to do a, uh, a Q&A um, where uh, Doug and Brian and I can uh, interact with you guys in the classes a whole. And if you have questions that you would like to ask, we would love to have them ahead of time. So there's some little green cards back there. Uh, you might have written some questions on the original info card that you filled out the first week, and we'll pull those. And uh, if you have some other things, specific things that you're wondering, we may not know the answer. It would give us a little time to try to figure it out. Uh, and then you can ask other questions next week as well. But uh, at some point throughout the day, if you want to fill that out, that's great. Um, you know, is there a way during the week to... Oh, you could email me. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at countrysidebible.org um, would be a, another way to get those to me. Well, we began two weeks ago focusing on the first priority relationship for grandparents, which was our relationship with God. <laughs> We saw that uh, we are responsible to God. He's the one that we are chiefly going to answer to for how we grandparent. It's not our kids saying, you are a great grandparent. It's not our grandkids saying, you are the perfect grandparent. It's what is God's evaluation of you in that way. And he holds us responsible primarily for what we declare to the next generation about him and what we declare through our words and through our example. And, uh, and we saw that that only comes when we are careful with our own walk with the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. And so it starts with our relationship with the Lord, our desire to declare him to the next generation. And then last week, Brian helped us to focus on the second priority relationship for grandparents, which is your relationship with your children. And he reminded us that grandparents are in a support role. Though you know more and have more wisdom and experience parenting, you are not the primary one who gets to do that. And so you are encouraging and helping and supporting, and as much as you want to apply all the things you learned in the life of that child and how they are, are parented, that's not the primary role that God has, has given you. Uh, and so you're to encourage and serve your children to, uh, to come alongside them and the, the tasks that God has given them to that end. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't have a direct role with your grandkids. It's not that you say, okay, it's all on them and we're just going to stand at a distance and kind of watch and pray and, and just kind of help. You do get to engage individually and directly with your grandchildren. And, and so that's what we want to think about and focus on today and just look at some, some biblical principles to that end as we seek to maximize the impact that you can have. Now, obviously, I am not a grandparent. 
And so I am going to share with you from the scriptures uh, primarily, but also uh, from the, the interactions that I have with families and the different resources and materials that I'm aware of to try to help pass along some of that because I'm more in that world as a, a parent and family pastor. And uh, also we have two uh, godly sets of grandparents. My uh, wife's family, I think I mentioned the first week, lives locally. And so uh, we have grandparents who are close. My parents live about 10 hours away. And so we have grandparents who are at a distance. And so we get to see kind of the differences of what they do and how they interact. And so uh, I'll share some of what they've done. Again, not because everyone has to do it exactly the same, but just to help us generate some thoughts in, in those ways. So as we begin today, let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into some key principles for grandparents and their grandchildren. Lord, we're thankful for each one in this room, for the family that you have blessed them with. We're thankful for the privilege that it is to know you and serve you and the privilege that it is to then take what you have done in our lives and pass that along to others. And Lord, there's no more precious opportunities to do that than with our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use our time together considering your word and considering uh, the, the truth that you would uh, have for us and just uh, being able to share the, the wisdom and experience that you've given um, to each one in this room together, Lord, that that would be fruitful and spurring us on to that end. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want us to think about how we maximize our impact with grandchildren. And, and the first principle that, that Scripture directs us to that I want us to start briefly on is that we are to recognize God's gift of your grandchildren. Now, if, if I was to ask you today, sitting in a class with no grandchildren, do you love your grandkids and are they a gift to you? You would probably say yes. Um, and if I took you from this class and I stuck you in another context where you'd spend eight hours with your grandchild and I ask you again, do you love your grandchild and are they a gift to you? You would probably still say yes because you know that's the right answer, but you might not have the same vigor with which you would answer that question. You know, Proverbs seventeen six says, grandchildren are the crown of old men. They are, are a gift that God has given, a, an honor that has been given to you as one who has completed one season of life, and, and now you're seeing the fruit of that. Just like uh, Psalm says that children are a blessing from the Lord, doesn't mean that they always are in a tangible way in that moment in the way that we might wish they were. Your grandchildren can be a, a disappointment to you. They can bring dishonor to you. But in a big picture sense, they are a gift that God has entrusted to you. Interestingly, that verse continues in Proverbs seventeen six and says, The glory of sons is their fathers. So it, it goes both ways, the, the generational appreciation and respect the scriptures call us to. You know, sometimes your grandkids don't feel like a gift. Sometimes they may feel more like an obligation, that there are expectations for you, that they or, or their parents or yourself place on you, but they are a gift. Sometimes they're a gift that doesn't really bring... Um, the, the, that does, isn't, isn't really doing all that we wish they were. They sometimes are providing sanctification opportunities for us in a way that God is doing uh, good in us in that way. But when we think about our grandchildren, we want to think of them as a gift from the Lord. 
as something he has entrusted to us for our good and as a blessing to us to get to share in the work that he's doing among the next generation. You know, as we think about interacting with them, we want to view them as a gift, but that doesn't mean that we just let them dictate whatever it is that our interaction looks like. It's not that we are, are uh, allowing them to be the center, even though they are a gift. We, we want the scriptures and we want uh, the, the nature of God to be what's driving us in his glory. And so a second principle that I want us to think about is, is as we interact with our grandkids, we need to prioritize biblical goals for your grandchildren. And this is something that I talk often with parents in our church about. That there are lots of things that we can get focused on that miss the primary goals that Scripture has for our, our grandchildren or children. And, and I, I want to just give you two categories this morning that I think are particularly uh, appropriate. And, and the first that Scripture calls us to when we are ministering to the next generation, to children, is that we are to target their heart, not simply behavior. You know, when you think of God's chief goal for your grandchildren, it's not simply that they grow up to be a good, moral, upstanding citizen who is successful in this life. That's not his goal for them. You know, it's not that they simply externally conform, that you can walk through the grocery store with three grandchildren behind you and people say, oh, what a nice, uh, you know, are those your grandchildren? They're just so well behaved. That's not the primary goal. Now, that's a, a decent thing if it happens to you, but that's not the primary goal, right? You know, they, they could be like the Pharisees who Jesus described as whitewashed tombs, outwardly looking fine, but motivated by all the wrong things rather than loving God and loving his word and loving others. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And Jesus speaks often of the priorities of, of our heart. <laughs> So as grandparents, we, we can't simply be about behavior change, trying to get them to act a certain way. Doesn't mean we don't care about behavior, but that's not our primary goal. But we need to be dealing with their hearts. You know, I think, uh, again, there's a, um, a, a temptation among all grandparents to, uh, to try to get their grandkids and parents too to respond a particular way. And uh, sometimes that maybe goes as far as like bribery. And again, there's nothing wrong with rewards and consequences. God uses those in scripture. But we can just get so focused on just getting them to behave in a way that is tolerable for this season that we don't continue to focus on their heart. We must hold up God's standard for their heart. So it's not just play nice so you don't get in trouble. That's, that's the wrong motivation. It's, it's love others genuinely from the heart. So what does this look like? Well, primarily it's when we are, are having an opportunity to correct, and we'll talk a little more about this in, an, in, in a while, that we don't just focus on the outward, but we seek to help them see what's going on in their heart. It's not don't ever hit your brother again, but you're to love your brother as you love yourself. We, we do address the behavior, but the underlying heart issues. 
You don't say to your, your grandchild, simply don't glare at your mom like that, but you're to have a heart that honors and respects the authority that God has placed over you. Now, when we do that, can they live up to that standard? No, no more than we can. <laughs> but it, it drives them from this behavioral standard to the gospel. <laughs> because when they can't meet that standard... Are they shamed and, and you're so disappointed with them because you can't love other people the way you should? No, they are just like you and just like me and they are driven to see their need of, of Christ. You see, holding up this high standard that God has leads routinely to the gospel because we can't live up to it. Targeting their heart leads you to the gospel. Targeting their behavior leads to just outward conformity to please and, and earn standing before you and ultimately before God. So remember, it's about their heart. <laughs> Again, there's nothing wrong with wanting them to behave appropriately in the context that they're in and needing them to behave appropriately so that they can spend time with you and do things that are, uh, are important to do. But in that, don't neglect their heart. A second biblical goal to prioritize that I think is a temptation for all parents and, and grandparents uh, B would be to celebrate character more than success. <laughs> to celebrate character more than success. Now, one of the joys of, of grandparents is to get to go to things that their grandkids are involved in. We had a, uh, our girls, older girls play basketball. They had their first uh, season opening tournament this weekend. Uh, Christie's parents came to uh, three or four different basketball games to watch them. And, and that's one of the joys of, of getting to be a grandparent. And, and in that process, whether we're parents or grandparents, we want to be focused more on their character than on the success that they display, whether that's sporting events, recitals, school, other things. We want to, to be focused on how God is developing their character before him, not simply what they did well. So do look for what they do well and encourage them in those things, but focus more on their character. If they missed a bunch of shots but they continue to encourage other members of their team and you as the grandparent afterwards go and say, man, I, I am so thankful for the attitude that you displayed in responding well to others when it wasn't your best game. Those are the things that you want to hold up as, as the goal in that. So grateful for the, the hard work that you put in that was showing in that recital piece that you played. Honor them for their good grades, other milestone achievements like graduation and other things, but celebrate their character more than simply their success. That's the goal that God has for our grandchildren, that they would ultimately grow to have hearts that love him and that are reflected in character that is like him, and that's what we want to be encouraging as well. A third principle I would, uh, we, we would would be encouraged to consider as, as grandparents to maximize their impact is to understand the growth stages in your grandchildren. Understand growth stages in your grandchildren. Who thinks they have the youngest grandchild in the room? How old? Four days. Four days you win. <laughs> Who thinks they have the oldest grandchild in the room? How old? 22. Any older than 22? No, oh, we got some competition. 
Yeah, in the twenties. So is there a difference in the grandparenting of a four-day-old and a 22-year-old? Absolutely. You, we need to think uh, and understand first just the stages of, of physical growth in our, in our grandchildren to think about what stage are they at in their life development. Now, for some... Uh, For most, it's been a while since you've had a three-year-old when you get a three-year-old grandchild. And sometimes that can be intimidating, I think, particularly with younger, uh, younger grandchildren, um, can make it a challenge to know what, what kinds of things can we even do with them? How do we respond in these ways? Uh, how, do we, uh, how do we interact with them well in an appropriate way? You, you go from being, in some ways, a big picture expert as a, a grandparent who gets the big picture principles, but it's been a while since you were down in the trenches sometimes in those ways. So just being willing to engage, to talk to others who maybe have uh, kids or grandkids at a similar stage. I I remember when our girls were young, uh, there were some other folks in our church who when their grandkids would come, they would invite our girls to come play uh, because that was helpful to have some of that dynamic and it gave a chance to kind of see them together with others and and just a, a helpful thing in those lines. I would make a plug as well for serving in children's ministry as an opportunity to regain comfort with kids at various stages of your children, uh, your grandkids' life. Doesn't mean you have to do it necessarily in an ongoing way if you're engaged in other ministries, but when we have opportunities, something like a, a vacation Bible school or a conference or unique times where you can say, hey, my grandchild is going to be going into elementary school. I'm going to serve with an elementary school class just to remind myself of what elementary kids are like, <laughs> you know, to get some of the uh, intimidation off in, in those ways. Um, it's been a joy to see my parents go from loving our grandkids to loving lots of other people's kids as they've intentionally tried to be comfortable with that. My, my parents, my dad has re- recently retired, and now they help in a number of ways with, with children, um, not simply to, to get comfortable with kids for their grandkids, because as they've reengaged in that, it's really helped uh, them to uh, have a comfort and heart for that across the stages. So considering their physical growth, what can they do? And I'm going to try to share some resources that hit different stages um, so that you can be a little more equipped even to, to think at the levels of your grandkids. But secondly, we need to think of the stages of spiritual growth. I put a verse on the top of your handout that we referred to briefly a couple weeks ago, 2 Timothy 3. You're welcome to turn there or just look at the, the top of that handout. But in 2 Timothy, you remember that um, Paul was writing to Timothy and he had already reminded him at the beginning of this verse of the influence, or the beginning of this book, of the influence of his mother and grandmother. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. And so he had reminded him of his heritage, of those who had come before him in his family, understanding the truth of of God and and of Christ. And then when he gets to chapter 3, he is urging Timothy in light of the context in which he lives and ministers, which is deteriorating, to continue living in light of what he had been entrusted with. And so in verse 
13, he says, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. A real encouraging verse. That's what's going on around you, Timothy, is things are getting worse. But, verse 14, he says, you, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He he identifies really three stages that Timothy, in his case, had gone through or was going through. And that had started at childhood. Verse 15 says that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. But if you look at the first part of verse 14, you see three things. He says, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Now, if we split that out chronologically, which of those came first? The learning, right. And so, as Timothy was younger, he was primarily learning. Information was coming in. Verse 15 talks about from childhood, he's known the sacred writings. He was at a learning stage where content was coming into his head. Is that all that, uh, that Timothy needed? No, that was just, that's the first step. There's content that needs to come in, but that's not sufficient. Some of you are at that stage with your grandkids. They're younger. It's all about, we want to feed truth into you. We are helping you to learn. But what happened with Timothy and what you hope and pray will happen with your grandkids is the second phase. He says you have learned and become convinced of. You see, our goal is that what they have learned, they become convinced of. They believe it. They, they, it goes from facts in their head to a, a fire in their heart, if you will, that this is what is true, and I embrace this, and it shapes now how I live. That comes primarily in, in the response at, at conversion, and then in that growth and maturity of this is how I'm living my life. For Timothy, he had learned them, and he had become convinced of them. John Piper puts it this way. He says, what we want from the next generation is not just heads full of right facts about the works of God. We, we do want that, but not only that. He goes on and says, we want heads full of right facts and hearts that burn with the fire of love for the God of those facts, hearts that will sell everything to follow Jesus into the hardest places of the world. He says that's our goal, is that they learn and then they become convinced. Now, I think it's helpful to think about where your grandkids are in, in relation to those things. If, and, and it tends to flow with age, but also how much they've responded. Some of you are primarily teaching truth and filling your grandkids with, with information And it's not a firm line where you go from that to seeking to convince them. But some of you have grandkids who know a lot. (laughs) And, And your focus as a grandparent is not simply on trying to teach them truth. It's exhorting them to embrace and respond, to to find the, the satisfaction, as even our sermon this morning was about, that God is worthy and worth it, and, and this is what you want to be living for. 
You become more of an, uh, uh, someone focused on apologetics, if you will, not arguing with the technical side of apologetics, convincing them, but helping them to see that this is worth it and this is right and good in that way. And then the goal is, like Paul was exhorting Timothy, that it becomes the third stage, continue in these things. <laughs> you go from teaching the truth and the facts about these things and urging them to respond to now coming alongside and encouraging and exhorting them to continue in that, to press on in spite of the cultural pressures around them to continue to live for the things of the Lord and and for his glory. Again, it's not the goal that you have to be able to state definitively where every grandchild is on that, those stages of spiritual growth and development. You know, oftentimes with children and, and youth, it's difficult to tell for sure. Are they genuinely in Christ? Is, the, is this fruit being displayed because it's, uh, you know, just what they've grown up with or is it real? And so the goal is not to say you've got to know exactly what's going on, but to think in terms of here's where we hope they will move and how does that shape our interaction with them? We want to be age-appropriate in the things that we do with them. And we want to be spiritually appropriate in how we are treating them. If they're not in Christ, we don't want to give them all the assurances that come from being in Christ. We want to be uh, helping them to see that they're not. (laughs) If they are, we want to be coming alongside and encouraging them to to continue in the things of, of the Lord. So understand the growth stages in your grandchildren and And fourthly, we want to cultivate ongoing influence with your grandchildren. And we want to spend the majority of our time on on these thoughts. Again, Paul, when he's describing his hope for Timothy, says continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. And we mentioned this uh, the last time we met. Knowing from whom you have learned them. It's interesting that he didn't first go to the truthfulness of the content he had learned. He could have, and he does get there by describing what is true of Scripture, but he starts with who he had learned them from. And so it is with, uh, with us as, uh, as those who would like to influence others. It matters who we are and how we engage with them. Now, I used two words intentionally in that point. One is ongoing. Brian mentioned this uh, last week, that this is a long game. (laughs) You don't want to uh, simply influence your grandchild when they're four. You want to influence your grandchild when they're 14. And uh, you want to continue to have a relationship that allows influence. And I use the word influence intentionally as well, because again, you are not the primary authority over your grandchildren. Parents are primarily an authority when their children are young. They can make them do things, or at least that's God's intent, is that they're an authority over them. You see that physically, a two-year-old, you can make them get in their car seat. You have that level of physical authority, but you biblically as a parent have authority over them. But as they grow, that authority lessens and influence grows. You can start having conversations that shape their thinking more than just telling them what to do. Well, as a, as a grandparent, 
You don't primarily have, you don't have primary authority over your grandchildren. And, and so parents are the ones who are chiefly responsible for the discipline and training of their children, structuring their world and, and all of those things. You are primarily an influence, someone who is, is there to speak truth to them and to pray and hope that it will take, but the parents are the ones who are primarily responsible to train them to live in light of those things as they are young and as they are growing. So you want to cultivate ongoing influence. You can't make them do stuff. Can't make them think a particular way, but you want to be helping to steer them in that direction. Now, if we're going to do that, we first, A, have to understand the limits of your influence on your grandchildren. You, you can't control them. You aren't responsible for what they do. I think that should drive us to a couple of things. One, it should drive you to dependent prayerfulness, to be praying because ultimately God's the one who's got to work on their heart. And so you recognize, I can only do so much. I can be faithful. I can be responsible with what God's called me to do. But I got to pray for my grandkids that God will be at work in their hearts. Because we know it doesn't ultimately come back to what we can do. And secondly, it drives you to support their parents as Brian talked last week. Their parents are in a a powerful position in their life to train and discipline and instruct. They have far more opportunity and responsibility than you do. And so you want to come alongside and support, as Brian said. But again, that doesn't limit or minimize what, uh, or doesn't minimize what you can do as a grandparent. And so secondly, you want to develop a relationship to influence your grandchildren, You see, influence comes in the context of a relationship. That's the pattern that we see. You think of Jesus and Jesus' disciples. Did Jesus come down and say, I'm going to have a three-day seminar with my disciples and I'm going to turn them loose and they'll be good because I can give them all the content that they need in that. No, he said, I'm going to come live life with them. I'm going to engage with them. There will be life-on-life relationship. That's how, how people are molded and shaped. And so if you want to have a relationship that allows you to influence your grandchildren, there's a number of ways practically that you are aware of that you can do that. The first is by living a life worthy of their respect. Titus chapter 2 describes various relationships and categories in the church and how they are to interact. And it gives descriptions of what older men are to be, to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. You know, if you had to choose between being liked by your grandkids or being respected by them, which would you, would you choose? Well, hopefully you would say, I, I want them to enjoy me, but I, I want them to, to respect me. Not because I demand it of them, but because they view me as worthy of respect because of my character. Again, that doesn't mean that you can grandparent at a distance. 
You can't say, well, I'm respectable, and so my grandkids can see that, and they should long to come to me and say, oh, great wise grandfather, um, what wisdom would you impart to me? Uh, If you're waiting for that conversation, you'll probably be waiting a long time. Now, you need to be worthy of respect and need to be living in a way that cultivates that, but you also need, like Jesus did, to enter into their world. So we can do that, secondly, by taking interest in their world. Again, I mentioned Christie's parents spent uh, a number of hours in a Duncanville field house yesterday where there were multiple basketball games going on at a time with very loud whistling and horns. And it's not a real pleasant experience. And they, they enjoy basketball, but this was not like real high-level basketball. Um, and yet they were there, and they enjoyed it, but they, they were there because basketball is a part of my girl's world. And it's something that they enjoy, and so they're eager to come alongside and enjoy that with them. You know, with younger kids, that means, you know, the things that are part of their world, which are toys that they like to play with, or games that they're engaged with, or things. You know, to to engage with them, to get into their world in that way. As they grow, it tends to be more of hobbies and activities, even uh, uh, you know, other things that they are, are engaged in. And that is sometimes simply done by listening to them talk about things that matter to them. Doesn't mean those are life-altering conversations when they're rattling on about something, some new toy that their friend got and they're so excited about and they want to show you when you're in Walmart uh, and you, uh, you're like, I'm not buying it for you, but I'm happy to hear what you're excited about in that way. And, and so just engaging and, and showing interest in their world. Picking up on clues of things that they enjoy, things that they love, and, and, uh, and taking interest in those things. We cultivate that relationship, develop that relationship by spending time with them. You know this. By seeking to be with them. Some of that is time as a, as a larger family, cultivating that. And, and obviously this is predicated on the relationship you have with their children, And so most of you, I would guess, would like to spend more time with your grandkids than you get. Um, But being, um, taking the opportunities that the Lord does provide as a a large family, enjoying all of them. It's also helpful if you have opportunities, spend time with individual or smaller groups. My parents, I mentioned, live 10 hours away. And uh, there are times when to serve Christy and I, they would take all of our children for, for a period of time, but we have, have five of them, and they're pretty close in age. So when they were younger, that wasn't always a reasonable thing for them, um, although they, they sought to do that. But they also wanted to intentionally try to create times where they could spend time with just a couple of them. And so they would take the younger two. And it wasn't as much of a help necessarily to us, although it still was to not have the younger two. Um, but it gave them a chance to connect with a smaller group of them where they could do some things just with them. Uh, again, if you have 15 grandkids, that may not be reasonable uh, in the same way that if you have three. Um, but just trying to say, how can we engage and spend time as much as the Lord has given us opportunity in, uh, in the context that we have? 
We build that relationship by making memories with them. I'll give you two categories. Some of those memories can come from special occasions. You know, if you think of things that you remember from when you were growing up or from relationships with others, sometimes those are one-time things that were unique, um, where you uh, intentionally do something. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's an activity that is, uh, is in the area. Maybe it's taking them to a special restaurant uh, to celebrate some event or milestone. A special occasion that is, is memorable. But sometimes those memories are created because of consistent traditions. And, and we can think of traditions as this big deal sometimes, <laughs> Um, you know, but they can just be routine patterns that make interacting with you special. When my girls think of my mom, they think of monkey bread, which is, um, I don't even know what it is, biscuits <laughs> chopped up with lots of sugar and butter. Yeah, it's healthy. Um, and so they know if we're going to see my mom, we're going to have monkey bread. And, uh, and that's a, a memory and it's a consistent thing that they love. You don't have to make monkey bread for your grandkids. But what are things that you and they enjoy doing together and enjoy as a consistent, uh, uh, consistent thing? Those things cultivate relationship. They cultivate, uh, and that relationship is not just so you know your grandkids love you. It's so that you are in a position to be able to, to influence them. So by making memories with them, fifth way is by communicating regularly with them. Obviously, that can happen in person, some and more for some than others, depending on the proximity. That can happen through things that your um, grandkids don't get very much, like notes in the mail. <laughs> you know, they, they, don't, they don't expect that regularly. Very few people do that anymore. But when they get something from a, uh, a, a grandparent, who, particularly those who live at a distance, can be very special in that way. You know, I think technology is always changing rapidly and you don't have to feel like as a grandparent that you have to keep up with all the technology that your grandkids know. I mean, as a parent, I I see the writing on the wall that my kids are quickly becoming more technologically savvy than I am on certain things. And so I know that it's not feasible for for us to keep up, but we do want to try to say what are some key things technologically that we can use to cultivate a relationship with our grandkids. My mom is on Instagram, not, I don't think, for any other reason than to be able to follow my daughter who is on Instagram. Uh, and it took her some effort to figure out what is Instagram and what do you do on Instagram. And she probably went to some younger person in her church and said, help me understand Instagram. Um, 
And, uh, and so that's given her a point of connection. And, uh, uh, you know, there are, are things that are a blessing now, like FaceTime and, and, uh, and used to be Skype. That's kind of not as cool anymore. Uh, WhatsApp is a, a, another, uh, uh, Marco Polo is another one. Uh, just finding out what are some avenues. All of that is things you can do from a phone or a tablet or, or things to see your grandkids. And again, a lot of you are probably already... Uh, already using those things. You know, if you know um, most of your grandkids, as they get into the teenage years, they don't talk on the phone much anymore. It's a painful thing for them to interact. It's okay for them to do it and to, for them to kind of be forced to do that. But texting is a much more common way of communication. And so you may not text with anybody else, but you may do it with your grandkids because you want to have that communication relationship. Again, you can either say, you know, this isn't how we did it, and maybe even this isn't great. <laughs> we, we see the drawbacks of this. Like, it's not healthy, and it's not cultivating all the character that we want to see you doing this. So I'm not going to foster that by doing it, and you will probably lose the opportunity to influence them along those lines. Or you can say, well, this is not my first choice for how we interact, but I'm going to do it because it allows us to interact in that way. And again, there can be lines that you don't cross. <laughs> you know, there, if you have uh, grandkids that are listening to music that is ungodly, you don't have to listen to their music to be able to talk to them about the music that they're listening to. You don't sin, but if it's just things that you have to sacrifice and figure out to the best of your ability uh, so that you can build that relationship you want to try. And, and part of the beauty of the church is there are people who uh, want to help you in that way. And, and if you find some, uh, you know, younger generation person in your, your Sunday school class or your home fellowship or you walk into the children's building uh, and you see someone and you say, hey, my grandchild mentioned this or my, my child mentioned that my grandchild is doing this. Can you tell me about this and help me with that? Uh, they would love to do that. I unfortunately am not the most tech savvy in all the social media stuff and that I don't, I don't do all of that. But I do know a fair amount and I'm happy to interact with you on those things and to direct you to others as well. So trying to communicate regularly, again, as much as possible in, in person and in, uh, in uh, our, our face-to-face interaction, even through technology, but using other means as well. Cultivating that relationship. A sixth way we cultivate that relationship, develop that relationship, is by not showing favoritism or partiality towards them. You know, James 2 speaks about partiality in the church, and one of the things that can significantly influence or diminish opportunities for influence to a majority of your grandchildren is if they see you blatantly showing favoritism to one of your grandchildren. You may have great opportunity for influencing that one, but you may lose the opportunity with others. Now, that doesn't mean that um, you can or should treat them all equally. And there's a difference between truly showing favoritism and your grandchildren thinking that you show favoritism. So, if uh, I mean, every child growing up in a home thinks that you treat them the worst, Right? I mean, they can give you countless examples of how you have loved their siblings more. Every grandchild 
is going to be able to come up with ways that you have showed favoritism to others. You don't answer to your grandchildren. You don't answer to your children. So it's not, do you think I'm showing favoritism? It's before the Lord, I'm checking my heart to say, how am I treating my grandchildren? You know, I think it's easiest to build relationships with those grandchildren who are most like you. So the one who loves the same stuff as you, who likes to eat the same flavor of ice cream as you and has the same hobbies that you do and who loves to do these things, that one is going to be easier to build a relationship with just naturally. And so you have to work hard to say, okay, I want to build relationships with the others as well and treat them uh, in a way that shows that I love and care about all of them. It may be that you have different snacks at your house at different times because different grandkids enjoy different things. It may be that you do different things with them, not just what comes most naturally to you. Again, it doesn't mean you will have the same relationship with all your grandkids. You won't because it's about you and it's about them. And it's okay for them to gravitate in different ways to, uh, to, to others. But you want to love and commit to them all. Again, there are factors outside your control in your grandkids, in your kids, in all sorts of life circumstances that will make those relationships look different. You want to guard your heart in that. So develop that relationship and and then see to influence our grandchildren. We want to improve your skills to influence your grandchildren. Psalm 78, it says this of David At the end of Psalm 78, after God has recounted his faithfulness to Israel that should be passed along to the next generation, it says this, that God took David from the care of ewes with suckling lambs and brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. God took David from shepherding sheep to shepherding his people. And verse 72 puts it this way. It says, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. David was a skillful shepherd with them, with people. You know, what does that look like for us? I I think one of the chief ways, one of the chief skills for influencing our grandchildren in a big picture sense, is recognizing that God has given them a conscience. And we want to not simply be telling them how to think and how to live, but appealing to them through their God-given conscience in two ways, two skills. One is by asking good questions. As a grandparent and as a parent as well, Learning to ask good questions that help your grandchildren to think, not simply telling them how to think, is a powerful skill to shepherd them. Lou Priolo in his book, Teach Them Diligently, put it this way. He says, when using the scriptures for the purpose of conviction, you should take aim at the conscience of your children or grandchildren. You must try to disturb any complacency and indifference to sin and awaken him to the fact that he or she has done or not done something that is displeasing to God. And one of the most effective ways of awakening the conscience of others to their sin is by asking them questions. You know this, you know, if, um, if, if somebody says, 
Um, uh, if, if, you, if I walk up to one of my kids and I say, I can't believe you talked that way to your mother, how disrespectful. They may hear me. They may feel a twinge of, of guilt and respond. Um, but most likely they're going to uh, kind of tune me out because they, they don't want to hear that. But if I said, um, how, how did you just interact with your mother? What, what attitudes did you just display with your mother? They're going to start thinking. And again, they still may tune it out. They still may not respond, but it gives the scripture that's in their mind and their conscience, it gives God the opportunity to work as they are reflecting on those things. Asking good questions. You know, when uh, some of those are still, can still be very direct, you know, so if, if you have a grandchild who is uh, engaging in something consistently that is, you know, a, a waste of their time or something that is, is clearly sinful, maybe it's, it's some of the games that are so popular that just consume their time and some of which are glorifying sin and evil. You know, you can have a monologue with them and say, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and there can be a place for that. But if you ask them questions about that... You know, asking them things like, you know, is, uh, if they're old enough to be thinking about those things, you know, what, what are the, uh, the dangers that come from being so engaged in that game? You know, you may have a list of 15 that you want to tell them, but starting with a question can facilitate that conversation. A, a second way that we can, can do this is by telling good stories. <laughs> Think of Nathan and David. When David had committed murder and adultery, and God sent Nathan to him, how did Nathan approach it? He, he didn't come in, for his own sake probably, and say, David, you are a murderer and an adulterer. You need to repent. Instead, yeah, he came in and told a story. And it was a good story. And it gripped David. And he saw the reality of that story, and he was moved by it. And then what did he do? He said, oh, by the way, that's you. And David was crushed by that and, and broken. You see, confrontation and influence are not always from directly addressing the issue and just hoping they hear you. Sometimes it's from helping them to think about what it is that's going on. See, the, yes. And, and, and again, it doesn't mean that you don't know the right answer. And it doesn't mean that you're not directing them. And it doesn't mean that there's not times when you very directly address them. You see that in Scripture as well. But being uh, intentional to cultivate them thinking, not simply you telling them in those ways. Uh, a third way that a skill that I mentioned already is, is working to understand technology. Again, not in trying to fully wrap your mind around all that's going on in the world today, but seeking to improve that skill as a tool to communicate and connect with your grandchildren. And as I mentioned, that oftentimes requires getting help from potentially the, your grandchildren's parents, your children, uh, and potentially from others outside of that as well. So we want to improve our skills to influence our grandchildren. And then D, we want to recognize that the scriptures are the primary influence on your grandchildren. 
Back in 2 Timothy 3, he says, Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned it, and that from childhood you have known what? The sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So one of those questions that you can get in the habit of asking your grandchildren is what does the Bible say about this? It's not what does grandpa say about this? It's what does the Bible say about this? And to try to help them to begin thinking in that way. To help draw them to what they have learned if they know that. And again, you can be ready with the right answer when they say, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's look at this one. Do you think this speaks to, to this situation in life? Um, yeah, I think it does. Uh, so drawing them to the scriptures. Again, it's not just their wisdom and insight. It's the Bible speaking to what is going on in their world. And we want to be directing them in that way. And scripture is profitable for all of that, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We want the scriptures to come to bear on their hearts so that they will embrace the gospel and so that they will grow to be mature and perfect, as Second Timothy says. And to that end, I want to uh, share with you, fifthly um, there, some tools and resources. We can utilize tools and resources to influence your grandchildren. And when, when I talk about some of these tools and resources, um, I'm thinking primarily in two categories. The first one, I think I put on your handout there, is in your interaction with your grandchildren. So some of these are things you might use as you are interacting with your grandchildren. Maybe it's a special holiday visit and you've got a couple of days with your grandchildren and, and one of these could be useful. Um, Maybe you spend more time with them because they live locally and they spend a lot of time in your car and how do you make the most of that time? Um, a second area that you can use tools and resources to influence your grandchildren is as gifts to your grandchildren. You probably give things to your grandkids. Um, some of them are going to be things that they want. Some of them may be things that you want them to have um, and that you can use and follow up with them. So uh, I put a, a sheet that's recommended resources. I gave this to you the first week, but I want to just explain a few categories and point out a couple of things that I think are, uh, are helpful and that are available. A uh, couple of caveats. All of these are not in our church bookstore. We don't have a huge bookstore, and so we can't keep all of these things in there. Um, most are readily available from Amazon or other sites. If you have questions about where to get any of these things, I would love to talk with you uh, about those and, uh, in that way. The first set there is books about parenting. It's not so much that... Um, I would expect you to give all of these to your children, um, but these can be things that are helpful in, uh, in thinking about and interacting with children generally and giving a framework for that. The second one there, Everyday Talk, Talking Freely and Naturally About God with Your Children, is a great book to equip you to interact with kids about biblical truth as you are just living life with them. We'll talk a little more about that next week. Um, there's a, uh, a book, or it's kind of a, uh, I think it's in the back, Wise Words for Moms by Ginger Hubbard is mentioned there. It's kind of a chart that takes different issues that kids, uh, there it is back there, um, that often come up with children 
and it gives some thoughts on how to think about the heart and how the scripture addresses that. Um, heart probing questions like uh, if someone is um, has conflict, which probably happens if you ever have two grandchildren over at the same time, uh, and questions like, did you talk with your brother or sister before you came to me? Did you respond the way God would have you to respond? Are you willing to forgive? Good questions to ask. It helps you in that way. And then give some things to put off and to put on and some scriptures to help. So just a helpful guide and resource in that way. It says wise words for mom, uh, but they're wise words for dads and grandparents and stuff too. Um, Another book under that category that I would mention uh, is Peacemaking for Families. Brian mentioned that sometimes there's conflict in families that affect our relationships with our grandchildren. And um, this will, will not solve all of your problems, but it will give you biblical principles to think through as it relates to things like confession and confrontation and forgiveness and, uh, and deals primarily with immediate family, but also has some things about extended family that's helpful. Um, uh, another book that's kind of related to that is a, a book, You Never Stop Being a Parent. I mentioned that as well. This uh, is by Jim Neuheiser. He'll, we're actually having a, a conference this year in, uh, in February on parenting and grandparenting, and he's going to be here, uh, but speaks to some issues with, with uh, children that uh, Brian talked about last week. Um, there's other helpful books to read on related issues. Those are things just to help you think about um, how to uh, address and converse on various things that are your, your grandkids' world. So C.J. Mahaney has a little booklet, Don't Waste Your Sports. It's a little pamphlet. If you've got grandkids who love sports, great little book to read, little booklet, just to help you to think about uh, some of the ways that you might encourage them. Um, Shepherd's Press has a, a series of little mini books. I didn't bring any in today. Uh, I may bring some next week. Again, that are similar to that, just speak to different issues um, that can be helpful for framing your thoughts. But uh, the next page really has the ones that I wanted to, to focus on. Um, there's a category there, books to read or study with kids. So there's a number of kids' Bibles that... Um, uh, obviously, once, once your grandkids get to a certain age, um, you know, you can read out of your New American Standard Bible and it works. But when they are younger, you may do some of that, but you also may want some other resources that help you to communicate those truths at an age-appropriate way. And so I've designated those as kind of the age that they are focused on. So like the Big Picture Story Bible, which is in the back, you can take a look at it. It's a very broad overview for like young um, young toddlers or young preschool. Beginner Story Bible similarly is for younger ones. Jesus Storybook Bible gets a little, a little more in depth. And basically, if you open a Bible and you look at how many words are a book and you look at how many words are on the page, that's going to give you the, the word picture ratio helps you to know kind of what age are we targeting here. If it's a lot of words, smaller print, that's more elementary. <laughs> if it's big words uh, and and, and big pictures, that tells you it's more for non-readers, those who are, are younger in that way. Um, one uh, um, that I think my parents 
may have given us the Read With Me Bible. I mentioned that. It's actually the, the um, it's a, a low reading level version of the New International Version. Um, so this was one that as our kids were learning to read, uh, we, we use some, but also um, grandparents could use. If you're spending time with your kids and you want to practice reading, might as well have them read the Bible and you can talk with them uh, as they're doing that, those things as well. Um, number of other good ones. Uh, a lot of those are back in the back. You're welcome to take a look at those and if you have questions. Then there's some theology or other topical books. Um, so these are not reading through the Bible as much as they're addressing themes that the Bible speaks to. Um, theology is a, a book that, um, that is kind of a systematic theology for kids. That's pretty, uh, pretty neat. Um, some of those, if you have a couple of days with your kids, you might pick a theme and say, hey, let's read about, let's learn about Jesus this week. And uh, we're going to read one of these a day as we spend this time together in those ways. Um, This one's at a little younger age. Um, Everything a child should know about God. Um, Just a a variety of ones there. Uh, One focused on the Proverbs, Get Wisdom, 23 Lessons for Children. Um, These can be helpful in giving you some structure as you interact regularly with your kids, they can also just help you to think about how to communicate biblical truth with that age, um, how to kind of bring it down to their, to their level. Um, the, uh, there's some family devotion guides. Those are more for regular daily direction and how to interact with kids in the scripture. Most of you probably do not have that consistent level of interaction. Um, but we have a, a Sunday school curriculum called Generations of Grace. If your kids are engaged here at our church, uh, there's a family devotion guide that goes along with that uh, that we encourage parents to use. Um, then there's a category of books for kids who can read. Uh, this is where you might get into um, still reading to your grandkids some of these, but also potentially gifts for your grandkids. Um, as you start thinking about things that as they get older that you may want to give them, one that's kind of fun, and you may again want to use this with them and not just um, give it to them, but the radical book for kids looks like a fun kids book. Uh, it has a variety of themes that it, uh, it talks about. So if you, if you look at the, uh, um, you know, the table of contents, you find things like how we know the Bible is true, how to clean your room, uh, the wild, wild west, uh, how to make pottery, um, what was the church like for first Christians, uh, weapons in the Bible. Uh, so just, it, it's more topically based. Some of it is just practical wisdom for kids, but some of it is we're taking a cool thing out of the Bible and fleshing it out with some more robust biblical truth in a way that is, uh, is fun. So like rock on jewels in the Bible and, uh, you know, gives uh, some fun things about that in an engaging way to help kids learn and, uh, and grow in, uh, in those things. Again, could be something that you give them that they can read or something that you enjoy reading with them in, uh, in that way. And again, any book that you ever buy, you know that you need to be, um, have some measure of discernment with it. There's no book that's like perfect in every way. So don't think that because I recommend something, that means that every single word is exactly how I would have said it. Um, 
But they are good books, and they're good resources, and they're vetted in the sense that I would commend them to you. I would recommend them to you in that way. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Ten Boys Who and Ten Girls Who, those are short little biographies. As kids are starting to read, they're, they're a chapter biography about um, historical Christian figures. Um, and uh, so the whole book is not about one person, so they're more rapid moving. So you could read, if you've got, again, kids over for uh, three days in a row, you could read three different chapters with them, or you could give those to them. Um, the History Live series, those are full book biographies, so they're longer about um, different characters. Um, Lamplighter books, if you're not familiar with those, they are a, a potentially neat opportunity for grandparents to invest in their grandkids. They're basically old books. This one's called Helen's Temper. It was originally, and its consequences. Um, this was originally published in 1872. And so uh, they basically have gone back and looked for really good fiction children's books that teach biblical truth. And recognizing there was a dearth of those for a long time, uh, we've got to go back and find some. And they've republished them in, uh, in pretty cool-looking, kind of like heirloom-type form. So these are not cheap, which is uh, one reason why uh, a lot of parents probably don't buy them for their kids. Um, but it could be the kind of thing where you buy a set of them and maybe give them over time, you know, uh, every year for a birthday gift. You give your child one or you give a family one or different things. The other thing that they have are audio theater um, uh, some audio theater stuff that they've put together that is excellent. Um, so they've taken the books and they've put them into audio theater. The difference between audio theater and audiobook, audiobook is some guy reading it, which will engage your grandchildren for not very long, usually. Um, audio theater is they have different characters playing the parts with sound effects. So they, they are reading the book, but they are doing it in a more dramatic way. And so there's a lot of those. Again, if you find them on sale, there's just a great sale. They're cheaper, but um, they, uh, again, because it's a small publisher and they're doing a lot of work with old works, they, they aren't, um, aren't the cheapest things in the world, but they're great. So if you're going on a long car ride with your grandkids, uh, those are an excellent tool to, uh, to enjoy. I would listen to them beforehand um, because some of them do have, they are more intense, I would say, than a lot of children's books today. They deal with real life issues like suffering and hardship and death. And, uh, and again, they're not morbid and they present things in a very biblical uh, way, the, the majority of them that we have uh, been exposed to. So they're, they're really, um, really good and a neat, neat resource in, uh, in those ways. A um, couple of books for youth that are growing up Christian is written to those who have kind of grown up in a Christian home. Um, Do Hard Things was written by a couple of teenage guys about how today's youth don't do hard things, and we should. Um, and uh, another book there by a, a teenage girl about how the gospel changes uh, the teenage years and how we think. Um, again, those would be more potentially gifts, I think. Uh, and then two other categories, kids' music CDs. Um, 
or MP3s, you can download them as well. We, we are thankfully in a, in a season where there's been a lot of good children's music pre, uh, that's been published recently. Um, and by good children's music, I mean two things. I mean, one, it's really solid, theologically rich in its content. And two, you will not go crazy when you listen to it in the car. Um, because there is good children's music content-wise that will drive you nuts. Uh, and that's not good children's music to me because I'm listening too. Um, and so these are one that are, are great in, uh, in both ways. Um, Sovereign Grace Music has a number. Those are the first ones there. Um, theology goes with that theology book that I talked about. So there's songs on the same themes. Um, like there's the scary song. What's the scariest of all? And it goes through scary things. And uh, sin is the scariest uh, is the theme of that one. So there's a bunch of uh, ones from them. Uh, a guy named Randall Goodgame put scripture to, uh, to music. He called it Slugs and Bugs. I don't know why, um, but that's what it's called. Um, Keith and Christian Getty have some kids' hymn CDs that are well done. Um, there's a, a group called Seeds Family Worship. These, if you have um, like Amazon Music, I think they are all on Amazon Music. If you don't know what Amazon Music is, don't worry about it. Um, but there's like seeds of praise, seeds of worship. They're all purely scripture put to music and um, are some neat, neat songs. A number of these we pull from when we sing in our kids' ministries, uh, VBS and other, other contexts. Um, we also use uh, something called Songs for Saplings, Questions with Answers. With our, We have a, a kid's catechism that we do in Sunday school. Um, this is the little booklet that we have published. We, we got permission to use um, the catechism that goes with, or to modify the catechism that goes with these CDs. Uh, it's a, a lady named Dana Dirksen who wrote them. There's a few of them that are a little more Presbyterian that we skip, but they're still on the CDs. Um, but they, they have the question and answer and then the scripture that goes with it in the song. A few of them are not quite on the scale of I want to listen to this for hours in the car, but they, uh, but they're by and large are, are very well done. Um, and those booklets are in our, our children's ministry. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more just briefly about some of the things that go on in our kids ministry. Cause I know a number of you have kids in our church or grandkids in our church. Um, but music CDs, that can be great for time in the car, playing at home, during, if kids are just playing at your house, to have good music playing as a catalyst for conversation in, uh, in those ways. And then the last category there are, are DVDs, um, three that I would mention. And, and again, I, I don't mention DVDs because I, I hope that um, the entirety of your interaction with your grandkids is putting them in front of a TV to watch a DVD. But I do know that there are times when you have a long time with your, with your grandkids. Um, and so while these ought not be the primary or sole um, tool that we use, they can be very helpful. And uh, um, one of those is the Jesus Storybook Bible put on DVD. It's not the most action-packed. It's, it's kind of a animated narration of the Jesus Storybook Bible for younger kids um, can be something that you could play while they're playing something else. It's probably not riveting enough that they're going to want to watch it for an hour, but it can be a, a helpful tool. Um, another one that is 
uh, is out. It's called What's in the Bible. Um, it's actually the guy who did Veggie Tales, uh, a guy named Phil Vischer. Um, he realized that Veggie Tales didn't do a great job teaching the Bible to kids, um, which is true. And so he came out with a new series um, that teaches the Bible to kids. And so it's, it's, again, it's not quite as engaging as like a Veggie Tales type movie, if you know what that is. But it's, it's well done. Again, there's a few things that they uh, say differently than I wish they said them or than our church would say them or they don't take Take a stand on something as strongly as we would, but by and large, they are they are well done and conservative. Again, it's a um, um, the 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 general um, approach is one that's conservative and and well done. Um, it does. So there's like. Uh, 12 of them, 13 of them. So like this one is on the wilderness in the desert, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they just work through book by book. It's basically like taking an Old Testament survey class and a New Testament survey class. You will learn things from watching these. Um, I was taking uh, some seminary classes at the same time I first watched these, and it's like, wow, we're talking about the same thing. Um, And uh, um, pretty cool. So, and then... um, the last DVDs are some biographies. Uh, Torchlighters, Heroes of the Faith, are more for older elementary kids. Again, some of them are kind of intense. If you think of like Jim Elliot, what happened to Jim Elliot? Well, he got speared to death. And so if you have a DVD about Jim Elliot, it's going to talk about the fact that he got speared to death. And so um, you might want to watch them to make sure that you think it's a good idea to watch with your, your grandkids. But um, again, those are resources. You can be a faithful grandparent with none of those. <laughs> You don't have to have any of them. Um, And there have been faithful grandparents for generations who did not have those things. But they can be helpful as you strive to engage and interact with your your grandkids. Um, We're going to quit there and um, pick up with considering available opportunities with your grandchildren. Let me just tell you where we're going and then I'll let you go. Um, Next week, we're going to think, I want to work with you to think about what are the specific opportunities that you have with your grandkids? We tend to focus on the opportunities we don't have. So, ah, uh, they live far away, so I can't do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I want to encourage you to say, not what I can't do, but what are the opportunities that I do have? And then we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, which talks about being intentional but also seizing the just regular mundane opportunities. So we're going to talk a little bit about those things, kind of cultivating a, uh, or creating an intentional plan of what are things we can do. And we know we're going to be able to do these things. And then how are we prepared for opportunities that come up? And then we'll spend uh, the second half of our time next week doing some Q&A on uh, specific practical issues. So again, if you want to write a question on this, that's great. You can just toss them up on this table. If you want to email me uh, a question throughout the week, uh, that's great. And then we'll create a list of those and kind of start from there. All right. Well, let me pray. And uh, if you have questions, I know we covered a, a lot, particularly on the resource side. Feel free to stick around and love to interact on those things. Lord, thank you for this time. And thank you for these grandparents who are zealous for Um, influencing their grandchildren to know you and to understand what you have done. And uh, I thank you for their faithfulness already to that end. 
and for the ways that they have been striving to uh, declare you to, to them. And Lord, there's some who are uh, just beginning this journey, and I, I thank you for their commitment to want to do it well. And, and Lord, others who have been faithful in this for many years, and, and uh, we just thank you and pray that you would use your word to influence uh, and shape their grandkids' hearts. And, uh, Lord, give us skill in that. Give us wisdom in the interactions that we have. Help us to enjoy that privilege and, and Lord, to re- just uh, to be thankful for the gift that grandchildren are. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we entrust our afternoon and evening to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.